Anyway, good morning. So what do you say about a passage of scripture like the one Brad just read? I think to, uh, at the very least, you would say, well, that's a bit unusual. You know, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I, I think it's intriguing, a, a fascinating kind of a deal. Or you, or you might be thinking right now, well, it's, uh, Steve, I think it's a bit strange. It kind of reminds me of the last time I was out buying a car and I tried to talk the salesman into a lower price, you know, that... <laughs> That kind of a deal. It kind of sounds like a little haggling going, going on here. However you describe your thoughts, what's going through your mind right now, I think we'd all agree that it's a bit of a challenge to get our arms around what we come to realize once we get into it. And it's a conversation between Abraham and God himself. So here, here's what I hope to do this morning. I'd like... I'd like uh, to help us all uh, not only understand what's going on here, get our arms around this, but I'd, I'd like to help us understand how relevant it really is to each one of our lives. And what I'd like us to see is that what Abraham did in these verses is a key reason that he's a mentor for us to follow. You've been he hearing me through this series talk about Abraham, you know, being a mentor for us. And it's, it's a key reason why, if you go to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, 11th chapter, which is that famous chapter where God lists all the heroes of the faith, it's why Abraham, one of the reasons why Abraham's in that chapter, uh, when God's really saying he's a model for us, it's an example of what it means to live a, a life of faith. And for us to see why this is true, is to understand that this is more than a simple conversation between Abraham and God, where, you know, it's kind of got this thing where it feels like they're haggling over, over numbers of people. It's, it's way more than that. This, this, is, this is all about Abraham praying. It's about Abraham interceding for the people of Sodom. It's Abraham showing compassion. And that's really the big word for today, compassion. That's when you want to it's what you want to take with you. Now, it, it, one of the things that's almost a little frustrating for me when I read a chapter like this, um, because it can happen to me and it can happen to any one of us, is we can, we can read these verses or hear them read and really miss that there's a very profound thing that's going on here. I mean, very, very profound. And that, the, if we miss it, it would be so unfortunate because if we understand what happens in this chapter, it has the potential not only to have a, a, a really huge impact on our own life, but a tremendous impact on countless numbers of people. And, and when, I, when I'm saying that to you this morning, I'm not exaggerating, okay? This is, I mean, this is really, it's, 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 it's true. It's really true. These verses, these verses have compassion written all over them. Abraham's compassion, God's compassion, and I, I, again, I, it's almost a little frustrating because it's so easy to miss it. It'd be so easy to read these 18 verses, pause for a minute, think to yourself, you know, well, that's a bit unusual, that's a little, a little odd, and then, and then go right on to the, into the next chapter. And if you did that, you'd miss something that has the potential to be life-changing for a whole, whole lot of people. And here's, here's why, okay? Life-changing because these verses 
speak volumes to us about the compassion that God desires in each one of us for, for sinful, and I'd say even very sinful and, and, and spiritually lost people. And this all comes out of Abraham's prayer and God's response to his prayer. Now, there's three things to learn from this prayer. And you've got to appreciate this, everybody. It took, me a, it took me a while to really sort this all out and, and put this all together. And, but once I did, it was like I knew there was something here. Uh, so number one is the one th- number one thing that I want us to learn today is don't write anyone off, okay? No matter how sinful they may be, no matter how disinterested they are in anything that has to do with God. So number one, don't write anyone off. Number two, trust God to do what's right. Trust God to do what's right. Uh, even when your feelings are just all mixed up and you're really struggling with how you feel about what we're going to be talking about today. And then number three, choose compassion and not condemnation. All right? Choose compassion, not condemnation. So let's, let's, um, let's watch me pronounce the word condemnation wrong. Okay, number one. All right, don't, don't write anyone off. Don't write anyone off. Throughout this series, you've heard me say, I've emphasized many times that Abraham's a manner to follow because of the foundation on which he built his life, that foundation being God's promise of salvation and eternal life in heaven. That, that's what he built his life on. And that he's a manner to follow because Abraham knew what I've been calling his true north. And he was committed to pursuing it, to making it happen. And his true north being God's call for him to be a blessing to the world, which I'm convinced is God's call for all of us. It's if Abraham, just like us, we're all called to be a blessing to the world. And definitely, and we've seen this, there were times when Abraham uh, forgot about this and, 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 and he lost sight of what God had called him to do. And we've all done that, right? Haven't we all had those times when we've, you know, we've, we've been doing really good and then something comes along and we we start going south. But the thing about it is Abraham always got back. You know, he, he, he didn't forget it, okay? Now, he's definitely living this out. God's calling his life in a powerful way in this passage. He, he understands what God's called him to be, to be a blessing to the world. He, he gets that, okay? He really gets that. So when he hears that, that God's about to destroy Sodom because of the wickedness of the city, his, his first response, his first reaction is, is not to give God a high five and say, way to go, God, okay? None of that, none of that, okay? And he didn't say, well, you know, it's about time, God. I've been waiting for you to do that. None of that. As much as it's easy to understand why he would have done this. After all, the people, if you know anything about Sodom, the people living in Sodom were not good people. And that's an understatement. They, this was one very, very wicked city. So wicked that, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but back in the 14th chapter when, when Abraham rescued Lot and, and, and people, uh, and even the king of Sodom, from some other kings that attacked them and taken them off and made captives of them and were going to make slaves of them. And Abraham rescued them. And, and the king of Sodom, remember that? The king of Sodom came out and he wanted to, he wanted to reward Abraham for what he'd done. And Abraham said, I want, I want nothing from you. Nothing from you. That's because the king of Sodom was so wicked. 
and it was a very wicked city. The city was so wicked that God points to it as a warning of what happens when people persist in their sin. Many, many years later, through the prophet Ezekiel, God spoke to the people of Judah, and, and he said this. He said, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, and, and daughters are like other towns around that were doing the same thing as the people in Sodom. They're arrogant and, and overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. And if you dig into that, the detestable things are, are, are really sexual immorality of all different forms. And, and, and then God said, therefore, I did away with them as you have, as you have seen. And, and, then, and then you can actually go to the second to the last book in the Bible, the book of Jude, which has... One chapter, and in verse 7 in that chapter, God said this, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They served as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And so you've got the sin of arrogance, the sin of greed and selfishness, the sin of indifference to the poor and the needy, the sin of sexual immorality in all different forms. I mean, they had all of this going on in Sodom. These, these were some very, very wicked people. And so, I, you know, it's easy to see why Abraham could have just given God a high five, you know, the possibility to God judging the city of Sodom. But he doesn't do that. He does the very opposite with with his heart filled with compassion, he, he prays for God's mercy. He steps up and he intercedes for the people living in that city. Which I, I think begs a question for all of us. And I ask myself the question this way, and you might ask yourself it this way. How, how am I doing in my compassion for sinful and spiritually lost people these days? What's... What's my level of compassion for very sinful people, very wicked people? Is there any group of people that I've written out of my prayer because what they're doing is so wrong and, and so offensive? Is there, is, there, is there one person that I've written out of, out of my prayer because they, they do the same? Are, are there certain people that I just look down on? When I see them, I, I just want to like, Go the other way, you know. I, I, I give them a cold shoulder. I ignore them. I don't even want to talk to them. Is there, is, there a, is there a group of people or a person that I'm unwilling to care for, un, unwilling to love, unwilling to include in my prayer? When they come to mind, I go like, no, I don't, I don't want to pray about that person. Got anybody like that? I, I, I find it easy sometimes. You see, what we learn from Abraham in this chapter is not to write anyone off. As evil as they may be, as far away from God as they might be, as disinterested in anything spiritual that they might be. You know, right now, it, just do this, okay? Think of someone you know you cannot imagine ever having an interest in anything spiritual. Someone you think is impossible to reach. I mean... You're honest, you'd say, man, as far as you're concerned, a hell could freeze over before that person would ever show any interest in anything spiritual. If you got somebody like that, if you think of someone like that, okay, don't write them off. 
Instead, write their name down and begin praying your heart out for them. Okay? Now, you know, it's always good to flesh this out a little bit. So I've asked Dan Holmes to come and join me this morning. And uh, Dan was this kind of a person, uh, totally disinterested in anything spiritual, which is kind of fun because Dan's one of our elders now and leader of our church. So, Dan, um, let's just talk about this. Uh, you know, you've, your own spiritual journey. And so let me just ask you, you know, when you were a little kid growing up, right. how much the church and God and Jesus Christ have to do? You, you bet. Well, the, the, there's a short answer to this, this one, and it's, it's basically nothing. Family didn't go to church. I don't remember a Bible being opened. I was completely illiterate of, uh, of spiritual things. So no background there. Um, yeah, definitely not. Uh, I mean, just, just nothing. Nothing. There yep. was nothing there. Zero. Zip. Yep. Okay. Now, so how old were you? when you had your very first conversation with, with someone who was a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I was in the fifth grade when a, a family moved into town. The, the, the dad was a, a pastor in town, and his son was in the same school with me, and I became friends with this guy. His name was Bob. And at that point, he began to, to try to share with me. And I, it must have been a very frustrating um, effort for him because as the years went on, elementary school, junior high, and into high school, I, I became even more skeptical. I considered myself an atheist. I would turn down his invitations. We would talk about spiritual things, or he would try, and I would, I would want nothing to do with it. Uh, the few times he would convince me, he'd kind of drag me to church, and I'd maybe have some fun at a youth event, and then they would get to that part of the night where they'd start talking about spiritual things, and I would just mumble to myself and pledge to my, I'm never coming back here. I, this is not what I want to hear. For real. You For really real. did. Yeah. Okay. I, why would anyone want to do this? I don't want to hear this. Why did I come? And I would just, you know, and then he would invite and invite and invite. And so this pattern went on for, for years of, of Bob asking and inviting and me, you know, asking him questions and being a little belligerent with him. And, you know, well, you have to prove this. And how can you believe what you believe? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, which is so fun for me to hear you say that because I'm knowing you now. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, I mean, don't miss one of these things here. This can start really young, okay, where you start caring for somebody spiritually. Fifth grade. So you had fifth grade and then sixth grade he kept yep, after six. you. Mm -hmm. Seventh grade, eighth grade. You yep. stopped me. So this, grade. this went all the way into my sophomore year in high school. And, and so Bob had been inviting, and I was, if anything, more entrenched, still thinking that I was an atheist, didn't want to believe in God. And uh, Bob began to call me in the, in the spring of 1990. I got several phone calls, and he said, hey, me and a couple friends from the high school youth group want to come, and can we just come and visit with you? And I said no, because I wasn't a dummy. I knew what was going to happen. They were going to show up, and then they were going to try to corner me in some room, and they were going to go through it again, and I did not want to experience that, and so I said no one week, no the next week, but after a few weeks, finally I got the call, and I remember Bob saying, well, you're free this week, because I'd been making excuses up and everything, and what about this week? And I opened my mouth to say no, and I said, yes, you can come over, and I didn't even know why I said it. I, at that I, well, point. At that point, I, looking back, I, I can see that was the first nudges from God, and so then I thought, well, if he's going to come over, maybe some good can come of this. I'll listen to him, and I'll say no, and they'll stop bugging me. Maybe that's, maybe that's kind of, we'll just get this done with if he's okay. not going to let go. And they came, and they shared the gospel, uh, very thorough scriptures, illustrations. And the whole time, I was, th the same thoughts in my head. When is this going to be over? This doesn't make sense. Well, you know, no, I don't want to believe this. 
And then Bob got to the end of that time, and he said, well, Dan, now that you've heard all this, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? And I opened my mouth to say no, and I said yes. And, and that's just... It, yeah, it was, and they were surprised. I was as surprised as they were. There were a bunch of surprised people in the room. But it, was, it reminds me of, of even in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul talks about the gospel being veiled and, and the, the God of this world, Satan, blinding unbelievers. And there was just a spiritual blindness that had been there up to that point. And in that moment, it suddenly felt like God cleared it all away, and I suddenly recognized my sinfulness, and it snapped into place, and I started going to church. I went back to school, and some of my other friends who I'd had all my conversations about how stupid all this Christianity stuff was, they were kind of like, what happened? You know, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but it all started from there, and, and uh, that was 23 years ago. And so it stuck. Yeah, it did. It must have been real. It was real. All right. Yeah. yeah, so now here's the cool part. Yeah, yeah, it gets cooler, okay? Cool. Yeah, but it gets better, all right? And this is where this is all connected to the sermon today. Right. So what did you find out uh, four years, yeah, four years so four, after that? Four and a half years later, uh, my wife and I were getting married, sure. and we were meeting with Bob's mom. She was going to play the piano in our wedding. And in a conversation that she had with my wife, uh, my wife now, Sherry, she uh, related to Sherry that she had begun to pray for me in the fifth grade. Fifth and through grade. all those years, she had prayed and prayed and prayed. And uh, so that was a huge encouragement to me to think that during all those years when Again, it must have seemed very impossible. I was not getting more receptive to this. I was not, you know, kind of warming up to it. I was just stubborn and didn't want to believe it. And Bob kept sharing, and his mom kept praying and praying. And so that's a, a great picture of certainly their compassion and then God's faithfulness to respond to that. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, got, Dan. Okay. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. So... You got a Dan in your life? Anybody? Now, he looks, you know, you look at him now, you know, and go, well, it must have been easy. Such a nice guy. But, you know, he, he would tell you he wasn't too nice about it way back then. So you got anybody like that? What I'm saying is don't see it as an impossibility, okay? See the potential. And if you have never started, if you've never begun praying for that person, start praying. Or if you stop praying, Pick it up again, okay? You know, sometimes we might go for a, a few months or, or one year or whatever, and then we just kind of, you know, it, we forget. And I just, I'm trying to just bring it in front of us again this morning. Somebody that you had been praying for, haven't been praying for, start praying. And I mean that. I mean, really, okay? I mean, really. Okay, number two, trust God to do what's right. One of the things I discovered in preparing this sermon, this is actually the first recorded prayer in Scripture between a human being and, and God where that person brings a request to God in prayer. And what I love about this is that what he's praying, it's all about compassion, which I thought, man, that's cool, you know. Of all the prayers to begin with in the Bible that we hear, we're given the privilege of listening into, it's a prayer, somebody asking God for mercy, somebody praying for God's grace in other people's lives. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you're familiar with the scripture. It all began with three men showing up at Abraham's tent. And uh, we learned last week, and Jeff talked about this, these were not ordinary men. Two of them were angels, and one is the Lord himself. It was kind of fun, first service. 
I had somebody say, well, I'm not, I'm not so sure that, you know, those were two angels. So it's always kind of fun, like, when I can show him right. So I said, well, let's go to chapter 19. And first verse was two angels arrived at Sodom. So that was kind of fun, just thought I'd tell you that. But don't hesitate to come up and, you know, debate with me. But anyway, uh, 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 two angels, and one of them is the Lord himself. And they tell Abraham and Sarah the good news. They're going to have their son. And, and then in verse 16, as Brad just read this morning, they get up to uh, uh, and begin walking toward Sodom. And a Abraham was a good host. He does what any good host does. He, he walks with them, as Scripture says, to see them on their way. It's like, uh, you know, when we walk somebody to the front door of our house after they've, they've spent some time with us. And I thought about that. If, if I would have been Abraham and, and God and and two angels were visiting with me. I'd walk a long way as long as I possibly could. And the scripture doesn't tell us how far they walked before the Lord has this conversation with the two angels traveling with him, a conversation I'm guessing that Abraham would have heard. And, and, and the Lord said this in verse 17 and 18. He said, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Basically, basically God's saying, it, it only seems right for Abraham to know what I'm about to do. After all, look at what we're going to be doing with Abraham. And, and if, I, if I were Abraham, I'd be all ears right now. And, and I, might even, I might even say, you know, you're right about that, Lord. I think you should tell me. Have, have, you ever, have you ever had anybody say, you know, you know, I just heard this and, you know, I was been thinking about maybe I should tell you and, if, and what do you right away go? Yeah, tell me, you know, right? Right in that, right? You, you, it kind of gets, gets your attention that that's what happened here. And, and, and I, think is, I think Abraham is especially interested in what's going to happen in Sodom because who's living in Sodom? He's got his nephew Lot living there with his family, which, by the way, is only four people, Okay. You might want to just remember that as we get into this sermon, okay? Now, verse 20, we read this. Verse 20, verse 21. Uh, the Lord decides to tell him, so the Lord said to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. And if not, I'll know. I don't know. The word outcry here is the Hebrew word that's used throughout Scripture for the cries of the oppressed. God's saying that the cries of the people that are being crushed, that are, who are being violated, who are being treated unjustly, is so great. Those cries have reached up into heaven itself, and, and now he's going down to see if what he's hearing is true, which I don't know, I like to ask questions as I read scripture. And, and so that right away brought up a question into my mind. Well, why did God have to go down? God knows everything. You know, God certainly didn't have to come down to, you know, to go into the city of Sodom and find out if this was really true. God knows everything. So I thought about that. And I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I, I think it's because God wanted to bring Abraham in on this so Abraham would do what he did, which is to intercede for Sodom, which, which brings us to verse 22 in this, this fascinating conversation between Abraham and God. 
a conversation that's really a prayer with, with Abraham asking God to show mercy. And so verse 22 and verse 23, we read, The men turned away, the two angels, and went toward Sodom. Now notice just those two. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And then we read this in verse 23. Then Abraham approached him and said. Now, the, the word approach is a very significant word. It, it doesn't mean that Abraham got a little bit closer uh, to Jesus Christ, because this was Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a technical term. It's a legal term. It means to, to approach the bench. It means to come with a case. It's like Abraham is a lawyer. He's representing the people of Sodom. And he does this by giving the number one reason for God to show them mercy. So he's kind of like he's got his legal argument there, which we find at the end of verse 25, this one statement, this question. He said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, not the judge of all the earth do right. You know, everybody, this is, this is what you, you, you want to write that down. Okay, this is, you know, you know when you read scripture, you're going along and, and you're reading all these different things that are, that are going on. And, and then suddenly you come across like this little gold nugget of truth. It's like the most valuable thing you want to just take out of a passage and, and, and take with it. You want to write that down. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? You see, Abraham here is not questioning the justice of God. He's, he's asking a rhetorical question. He's stating what he knows is true. God is righteous, and because God is righteous, God will always do what's right and what's just. I'd say that's something to build our life on, okay? It's on the basis of this truth, God's righteousness, that Abraham had the confidence not only to ask God for mercy for the people of Sodom, but also confidence to trust in God's answer to his prayer. Confidence to pray and confidence to trust God with what God would do in answer to his prayer. Not something to miss. Now, hear me very carefully on this, okay? Because this is, this, is, this is key. I think of every possible thing that you and I could bring to God in prayer. Every possible thing. And there's nothing that I can think of that matters more than the spiritual need of another person, than, than the spiritual need of a city of people, a whole nation of people. And I can't think of anything that supersedes the truth of God's righteousness, the truth that God will always do what's right. I can't think of anything more than this that gives me confidence in prayer, confidence to pray, and confidence to trust God to do what's right. Now, it could just be me, all right? But I think perhaps this is the most important when it comes to praying for the person who's lived a terribly wicked life. Where we really can't trust our whole feelings, you know, our feelings on how, you know, how we feel about this whole deal as far as God judging that person or not judging that person. Not only one person, but a whole group of people. And maybe just to really make this practical, I mean, think of words like uh, jerk, nasty, 
irritating, you know, and then even worse than that. Because, because our feelings at times like that tell God to give them what we think they deserve. I mean, anybody else ever feel that way? Like, God, I just wish you'd get them, you know? And, and uh, it's then, and really then, that we've got to trust in the truth that God will always do what's right. We can't trust ourselves. Let me, let me give you an example where this becomes so real. Okay? Here, we'll see a picture like this. Hate America. And we're not, those are all coming, I don't know if you recognize them, they're all coming from the Muslim world. Okay? That's what we see. Here's what God sees. All right? Here's what God sees. Now, I'm, let me just tell you how, I mean, again, this, is, this could just be stupid me, okay? But I remember one time when I was seeing those first pictures on TV, and there was just, you know, this mob just crying for the downfall of America, and it was just, it was just another one of those times, and it was after 9-11, all that. And I remember making a statement to Becky. We were home, and I was saying, man, I just wish, you know, they could just... We should just bomb the whole area. And remember Becky going, well, that's really, that's really godly of you. That's really nice of you, you know? Wouldn't that be great, Steve? I mean, again, it's just me, but that's where it becomes pretty real. And where I cannot possibly trust my own feelings because if I do what I feel, I'm not going to pray. For people that call down, you know, hate America and, 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 and persecute Christians and cut off their heads and do all those. Everything in me doesn't want to pray, but I got to tell you what, that's not what God, you know. I got to trust God and not trust Steve Maltemeyer. Which brings us to the third thing that we learn from Abraham's prayer, and it's to choose compassion and not condemnation. And I, I just got to read this prayer again. Because I just love it. I think it's a case study in prayer, how to pray. Uh, so verse 23, then Abraham, then Abraham approached God and said, now again, it's God he's talking to. He said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, well, if I find 50 people in the city, 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. And, and then Abraham spoke up again. Well, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, just... And this is real. This is just real stuff. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? And, 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 if, and he, God responds, if I find 45 there, I'll not destroy it. And once again, he, he spoke to him. Well, um, what are 40 are there? He said, for the sake of 40, I'll, uh, I will not do it. Then he said, well, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been this bold, <laughs> uh, so as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, well, don't get ticked off at me. 
But let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. I mean, this really this is a case study in prayer. You know, it's, I, I, it's so authentic. It's so appealing. Uh, there's, there's a boldness in it. There's a kind of reasoning with God that's so right. And, and, and Abraham said what he said with total respect for God, a, ge a, a genuine recognition of his own humanity and everything that goes with it. I mean, it, I think, first of all, it just teaches us how we can pray. You know, and just say it the way we feel it. But boy, more than that, it just teaches us about God. Yeah? I mean, I love Abraham's questions. I love his what ifs. What if there are 50 people, righteous pity, people in the city? What if five less than 50? What if only 40 are there? What if only 30? What if only 20? What if, what if only 10? You see, I'm convinced that God having this conversation with Abraham speaks volumes about how compassionate and Caring God really is. First, that God would even give him the, the opportunity to have this conversation. And then God allowing him to say what he said, to ask his questions, to ask his what ifs. I see, I think this speaks volumes about how incredibly compassionate God is. And, 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 then, and then there's God's response to every one of his what ifs. Yes, Abraham. For the sake of 50 people, I'll save the city. Yes, Abraham, for the sake of 45, for the sake of 40, for the sake of 30, for the sake of 20, for the sake of 10. Yes, Abraham, for the sake of even 10 people, I'll spare this city. Every time God says this, he's expressing what's in his heart, his overwhelming compassion toward people. Rob came to me after first service and and he said this to me about what I'm about to say. He said, boy, say it really carefully. He said, it's like the key statement. So let me say it. As you follow this conversation between God and Abraham, and as you see God's response to each one of Abraham's what-ifs, you realize that even a small number of righteous people could so please a righteous God that it would stop his judgment. So predominant is God's will to save over his will to punish. God himself, through the prophet Ezekiel, asked this question about himself. He said, do I, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Do I take any pleasure in that? No. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and they live? And then through Peter, in the second letter that Peter wrote, in, in chapter 3 and verse 9, where Peter was responding to people who were saying, well, when's it going to happen? When's God going to bring his judgment on this earth? And and Peter writes, and again, it's the Holy Spirit guiding him. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. And then he said this about God. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, 
In this passage, I see Abraham's heart. I see God's heart, you know, and, and both breathe compassion into my heart. Compassion, not condemnation. Compassion for sinful and spiritually lost people. I think of the time many, many, many years later when Jesus visited the home of another man. His name was Zacchaeus. And I'm so glad I learned about him as a little kid. Zacchaeus was a tax collector for the Roman government and evidently he was not a very honest one because the reputation he had in the city, everybody, nobody liked Zacchaeus. Everybody called him a sinner. That's what they called him. They called him a sinner. And, and he was. You see, that didn't stop Jesus from loving him. That didn't stop Jesus from going to his house. And Jesus went to his house and his life was changed. And I love what Jesus said at the end of the day. I just love it. He said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Remember, remember God said that through Abraham, all the nations on this earth will be blessed. You see, I believe, I believe when God said that, he was seeing Zacchaeus, that someday Zacchaeus would be blessed, someday his life would be changed. And then Jesus finished it off by saying this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So let me ask you again, all right? Let me ask you again. How are you doing in your compassion for sinful, for sinful and spiritually lost people? What's your compassion level? How much do you care? It's such an important question for us to ask ourselves and for us to answer because if we've got compassion in our hearts, it's going to make all the difference in what we're willing to do for a spiritually lost person. It's going to make all the difference, all the difference. Now, you might be here today, and, and very honestly, if you and I could sit down and we could talk, you might, you might say, well, honestly, Steve, to just be really straight with you, my compassion level is at zero. I don't have any compassion. And you know what I would, I would say then? The best thing you could do is what I did many, many years ago. When I, honestly, I, didn't ha I, I wasn't like that fifth grade guy who reached out to Dan. I... I really didn't care all that much, but God began to talk to me about that. And so I spent a summer of just intense praying before my senior year in high school, and day after day asking God to help me love, love my friends the way I should love them. Love them enough that I, I care enough to tell, talk to them about Jesus Christ. So that's, that's what I would, perhaps you need to begin by praying for yourself. And then you, know, you, you might also be, you know, or you might be here today and you'd, you'd say, but Steve, you know what? Man, you don't know what's going on in my life right now. So many things about my life are wrong or falling apart. I've got so many problems to deal with. How can I add, you know, caring for, for other people? And, and all I can say to you, okay, is when... When Greg died, one of the best things that Becky and I could do that helped us so much was caring for his friends. Yeah? I mean, it, there's just something about looking, even when we're in the midst of trouble in our life, looking outside of ourselves and thinking about other people, I think it's one of the most healing and one of the most helpful things you can do while you're in the midst of your own struggles. So here's, here's, here's some things I'd like to encourage you to do. Huh? 
Uh, how about this, big macro level? How about adopting a city? It's so much fun. After first service, I had a guy come up to me and say, man, Steve, I did that years ago. I adopted the nation of North Korea and began praying for me. It's so good to hear you say this today because it reminds me to pick that up again because I kind of gave, gave it up. You know, how about picking one of, one of the cities of our world and begin praying for the city, for the people in that city to come to know Jesus Christ and, and pray for the righteous people living in that city to have the love and the boldness to share Jesus Christ with other people living in that city. I think that would be powerful if we did that. Okay? Don't underestimate it. That's big, that's big stuff, all right? And then on a very personal level, if there's somebody you've written off, Somebody you've said, oh, it would freeze over before they'd ever walk into the doors of this building. You know, they just have absolutely no interest in anything spiritual at all. There's, there's absolutely no way. It was, it was so much fun. I, I was, uh, you know, you've heard me mention it. I work out with another guy in the church who goes here. And, and, and uh, as we were talking about this sermon, and, and as, we, as we were talking about this very thing, he said, that guy just walked right past us, my guy. And that, that's good, you know. I, so, so identify that person that you've got in your life that you've, you have crossed off. You've, you've, you've given up on them or you've never started praying for them. You know what? St write them down and start praying for them. I'd say every single day, pray for them. And don't quit. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Now, you know, I just thought of this um, after first service. Um, you know, you've heard us talk about, uh, how does Rob say this? You help me, I forget. Uh, in, is it in? No, forward, in, and south. You've heard us talk about that. We, we're asking you all to, to move up and move over and move in and all that. Do you know why we want to do that? You know why? It's for that spiritually lost person who might walk through that door, and it happens all the time. And they walk through that door, and we're five minutes into the service or ten minutes into the service, and they look and they go, man, this place is full. You know, that's why we're asking it. That's, I mean, that's what that's all about. I can stand up here and I can look out and I can see all the empty seats, but, but somebody walking through the door can't see it. So you know what? I mean, that's the thing that should motivate us to when we come in, just not sit just where we want to sit, but be willing to move in and sit, you know. I mean, do you understand what I'm talking about here on this thing? That's why. I wish I would have thought of that for service, okay? Yeah, but it's true, though, everybody. I mean, this is real. This is what we're talking about. And then we got Easter coming up. And uh, I, I knew I was going to talk about this one because this is just a practical application, is inviting somebody here on Easter Sunday, you know. And I would, I would even put out the challenge, invite the person you think there's just no way, no, no way they're ever going to say yes. Because you know what might happen? Just like Dan uh, where Dan thought he was going to say no, and he said yes. They might say yes, okay? And they might come. I mean, this, this is what it's all about, everybody. <laughs> it's what it's all about, you know? Um, I, just, I just love it. The very first prayer in the Bible is all about God's mercy, God's compassion. 
How about we just step right alongside Abraham and we join him in that kind of a prayer for people in our life. Okay, well, I think we went a little long. Let's, let's stand and, and I'll pray and, and then we'll go. Okay, okay. God, we know this is so important. It's, it's why you came to earth. It's why you had that conversation with Abraham. It's why you came back a second time and you went to the cross and you died. You died for a sinful, sinful, sinful human race. You died for each one of us. And God, I would just ask that your Holy Spirit would put that love in us. And God, just help us to, to care so much that we just keep we keep walking across the street. We keep walking next door. We keep caring for the person who works next to us. You know, whatever, wherever that person is and however far from you they are, God, help us to not underestimate your power to work in the heart of, a, of any person. Father, um, use us in Christ's name. Amen.